Uh, today we are in the second week of our Promises series. Now I know not everyone could be here last weekend, and so if you want the full context of what this series is about, we've created a resource to make it really easy for you to get caught up. You can go to city.church promises and you can watch last weekend's talk. It's about 20 minutes long uh, if you're interested in that. And for those of you who aren't gonna have time or the availability to do that, let me give you kind of the Reader's Digest version of why we are doing this Promises series. So at the core of us as humans, part of our nature, part of our hard wiring is this longing or this desire to live a significant life. We want our lives to matter. We wanna leave behind a legacy, but we don't always know how to do that. And it's complicated by all of these promises that the world makes us to help us live that kind of significant life. And we want it so bad that we fall for many of these promises of how to get rich quick and lose 20 pounds and meet hot singles in your area, and if you just, you know, will drive this new car, you'll have the respect of your peers, and if you just wear the correct brands, then you'll magically be attractive to the opposite sex. But the problem is that as we live our lives and as time goes on, we find that many of these promises come up empty. And even if we are able to check all of them off and do all of the things that the world offers, we still get to the end of the day and we're searching for purpose and we're longing for significance. It's why you see people who are ultra wealthy and ultra famous still falling into depression and still taking their own lives and still having nervous breakdowns. And so in this series, we began by laying a foundation out of the New Testament in the Bible, the book of 2 Peter. Peter was a disciple and apostle of Jesus, and he told this group of believers that because of their faith in Jesus, that Jesus has given them very great and precious promises. But he not only talks to us about the promises available to us from God, he also gives us this kind of roadmap to that life of promise, that significant life that we're all wanting to live. And he says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith virtue and to your virtue knowledge and knowledge self-control and to your self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and godliness brotherly affection and to your brotherly affection love and what happens is it creates like this list and this list is what we are digging into as our roadmap in this series to help us live the kinds of life that we are so desperate to live. But here's the thing, if you really look intently at the words that make up this list, what you see is these aren't external actions that we do. It's not about what we do with our lives. These are words about who we are. These are things that are about our internal life that we're calling postures. This is a list of posture. A posture is about your frame of mind. It's your attitudes and emotions, the way that you're going to approach your life. And what Peter is saying with this roadmap is that it's your posture that unleashes the power of God's promise in your life. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to begin to work our way through this list to see how posturing ourselves with virtue can unleash the power of God's promises and lead us to the significant life that we're all longing for. Do we have any like history buffs in the house? Anybody who's just really into, come on, your, your teachers are watching, like two people who are into history. Great. This is going to be fun. Uh, 
I'm a recent history buff. I've really gotten into reading like, you know, biographies of the founding fathers, and I became fascinated with the Revolutionary War. Now, the Revolutionary War is what won America its freedom, and it's an incredible story because for us to ever have a chance at winning was such a long shot. At the time, America was just a group of loosely connected colonies. We were under-resourced. We didn't really have a centralized government. We had no standing military. And we decided to take on the British, who were one of the premier fighting forces in all of the world at that time. And not only that, Great Britain owned the American colonies. And so we went on this path to fight for our freedom. Now, I knew most of those things. But here's something that I didn't know, that one of the major complications in the Revolutionary War actually came from within our own people here in the American colonies. You see, what would happen is right before these really harsh winters, the British would find out where the Americans were going to camp for the winter, and they would come into all of the cities surrounding it with just crazy amounts of money, and they would buy up all of the supplies, all of the meat and the eggs and the milk and all of the wood and the building materials, and they'd go to the blacksmiths and buy all of the tools and buy all of the bullets. And so what would happen is a few weeks later, when George Washington would ride into town, there would be nothing left for him to feed or clothe or shelter his men that were fighting for American freedom. There was sabotage coming from within our own people. These colonists who were selling out to the British knew that with a victory came the promise of freedom, and yet they continued to be sellouts to the enemies, to the British. And it was because of this that George Washington, in a heartbreaking letter, wrote that few men have the virtue to withstand the highest bidder. Few men have the virtue to withstand the highest bidder. As, as George Washington and his men were fighting for freedom, he was watching as his fellow Americans were selling out. Now to us, hundreds of years later, this is, this is pretty appalling that our own people would sabotage us and sell out from within. But you know, selling out is actually a very natural tendency. Even though we may have stepped out with a great mission in mind, when life gets hard and when temptation comes, it's a very natural part of our human nature to look for a way out, and so we end up selling out more than we would like to admit. You know, a great example that's been in movie after movie is kids who come together in elementary school and they become best friends and they grow up together, but somewhere around middle school something happens and one of them becomes really good at at athletics or one of them matures faster than the other and they sell out on their lifelong friendship to join the more popular crowd or we often sell out in our romantic relationships. Every time we flirt with someone who's not our significant other or every time we view pornography for like a quick fix, we can sell out in our jobs and with our coworkers when we hoard information to get ahead or when we spread rumors or gossip about people around the office so that we look better than they look. We can even sell out in our relationship With God, like when life gets hard and we turn to our addictions instead of turning to God for help, or when we fall back into temptations that he's already given us victory over. 
You see, the thing you have to remember about the Americans during the Revolutionary War is they don't have the 200 years of context that we have. The only America that we know is America the Great, the greatest nation on planet Earth. They were just colonists who barely had a shot of even surviving. They were owned by another country. They hadn't lived in the fulfillment of the promise that they were fighting for. And that's where our faith comes into play because if you remember, Peter says that those of us who have believed in Jesus have a set of promises of our own and many of these promises are in the future after this life is over of a a new perfect life and a perfect body on a perfect heaven with God someday. But much like the colonists hadn't lived in the fulfillment of their freedom, we haven't lived in the fulfillment of our promises either. And so when the world gets hard and when life gets heavy, it's easy for us to sell out on our faith. And this is the reason that the first thing Peter says to us is to add to your faith virtue. See, George Washington knew that virtue is what keeps you from selling out. He said, few men have the virtue to withstand the highest bidder, and it's no coincidence that this is the first posture after faith in Peter's list as well. Now, if you're anything like me, you're comfortable with the word virtue. Maybe you've used the word virtue a time or two in your life, but you actually have no idea what the word virtue means. You would really struggle to give a working definition of it. Now, The Greek word that we get our word virtue from is aretis. And aretis can be summed up as courage and excellence. And so as we talk about virtue today, we're going to be talking about where courage meets excellence. And we're going to go into the Old Testament of the Bible today. The Old Testament tells the history of the Jewish or the Israelite people. And there's an incredible story from their history that's going to show us what it's like to add to our faith this posture of virtue. So in a book in the Old Testament called Judges, we find out that the Israelites at this point in their history had been taken captive by a group called the Midianites. Now the Midianites were this incredibly powerful force and they had come in by force and taken over, taken captivity over Israel. It was a pretty big mess. Now, the other thing going on in Israel at that time is because of these outside influences, many of the Jewish people had fallen into idolatry. In other words, instead of worshiping God, they were worshiping man-made things like rocks or sticks or wooden poles, or maybe they started worshiping things like the sun and the stars. Now, the Israelites were God's chosen people. If you read through the Old Testament, he'd given them incredible promises, but these idol worshipers were selling out on the promises that God had given them. And it was in the middle of all of this mess that God spoke to a man named Gideon. And he called Gideon to lead the Israelite army to win back their freedom from the Midianites. Now, we don't have time to tell the whole story, but Gideon was not very excited about this opportunity. In fact, he was incredibly hesitant, but after some wrestling back and forth with God and with his own thoughts, Gideon decided to step out in faith and to lead the Israelites' people to claim God's promises to win back 
their freedom. And so Gideon stepped out in faith. He set out for the camp where he had 32,000 Israelites ready to fight with him. And as soon as he got to camp, God spoke to him. And that's what you want. You want God to tell you the plan. And so in verse 2, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. Now, I'm not a military strategist, but I feel like too many men in your army isn't really a thing. But God says to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me thinking that their own strength had saved them. And so he told Gideon, announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave. And so 22,000 men left the army while only 10,000 remained. Man, Gideon finally stepped out in faith and his first blessing from God was 70% of his squad getting cut. This put him in a really difficult position. His life just got 22,000% more difficult to watch two-thirds of his army walk away. Why would God do this? Why would God cut his army so drastically? You know, I wonder if you can kind of empathize with Gideon. Sometimes it seems like we wrestle with God about things that we know we're supposed to do in our life, and we finally are able to step out in faith, and when we do, we're expecting the blessing of God how we think it should come, but instead, our lives end up getting much harder. And so maybe you decided it was time for your wife to get all of your love and all of your attention. No more flirting with other women. And as soon as you made that decision and stepped out in faith, it seemed like you got more female attention than in all the other years of your life combined. Or maybe you stepped out in faith and decided to begin taking care of the body that God gave you and you decided to add some healthy eating habits to your life and that just happened to be the week that every coworker brought Dunkin' Donuts to the office. Or maybe you stepped out in faith and you got baptized two weeks ago to let the world know that you're ready to live the life that God wants for you to live. And ever since you did that, these last two weeks have just been crisis after crisis. These are the moments when we have to decide whether or not we're going to sell out or whether we're going to stay in the fight. These are the moments when our faith is great and it's wonderful, but you better have added to your faith virtue. Got to remember, virtue is where courage meets excellence. And the first thing that God did is he said, anyone who trembles with fear can go home. He immediately tested the courage of his army. And so Gideon and 10,000 courageous men were left. And I wish I could tell you that it got better for Gideon, but unfortunately it did not. In verse 4, the Lord then said to Gideon, sorry, dude, there are still too many men. What? Too Do you remember the 22, and I had 32, and now I've got 10. I'm fighting a far superior force. How could I possibly still have too many men? But you gotta remember that virtue is where courage meets excellence. God had tested their courage, but he hadn't yet tested their excellence. There was still one more step. And so God told Gideon to take his army down to the river to get some water to drink. And in verse 5, Gideon took the men down to the water, and the Lord told him, separate the men who lap up the water with their tongues like a dog from the other men who kneel down, you know, like a normal person to drink. 
300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs, and all the rest got down on their knees to drink, and what a strange way to decide who your army is going to be. It's very confusing, and just to be honest with you guys, Christian theologians, Christians who study the Bible for a living also find this confusing. It's hard to find a really clear reason in their interpretations of why God would do this, but interestingly, what I found is that Jewish theologians, remember Gideon and his army, they are Jewish people. Jewish theologians are very clear on what this test was about. Because here's what a Jewish theologian knows. They know that at that period in Israel's history, that when Gideon watched how the men drank the water, he would immediately know which of the men were devout followers of God and which of the men were idol worshipers. He immediately could see who the sellouts that had been worshiping idols were, and here's why. Because the custom in idol worship was to get down on your knees and pray to the idol. In fact, kneeling had become so associated with idolatry that a devout Jew, a Jew who was all in with following God, would not be caught dead in public kneeling because they didn't want anyone to have an opportunity to even make the assumption that they would worship anything other than God. And so sure enough, in verse seven, the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped the water like a dog, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands and let the 9,700 men go home. Virtue is where courage meets excellence. Listen, 10,000 had the courage to stay, but only 300 had both courage and excellence. So what does excellence mean for us in this posture of virtue? Excellence is about the standards that you decide for your life inside of yourself. Your internal standards where you decide whether you're going to live a significant or a mediocre life, where you decide whether or not you're comfortable with a lukewarm Christianity. One moment you're on fire for God and the next moment you easily sell out to the temptations of the world. Listen, when you don't have excellence as your standard for your faith, then you live your whole life like a Katy Perry song. You're hot and you're cold and you're yes and you're no and you kiss a girl and like, I don't know the song, all right? But the point is, 10,000 had courage, but it got down to 300 who had both courage and excellence and where courage meets excellence, that's where you find virtue added to your faith. Now here's what's interesting, we have Gideon and the 300 virtuous men, but nowhere in this process of creating the army that's gonna win back Israel their freedom did God test whether or not these were real warriors. When I hear the 300, I think of Gerard Butler and like this is Sparta, and you like determine it based on like an ab to peck ratio, right? There was none of that. There was no push-up contest, there was no spear throwing exercises, and here's why, because unleashing the power of God's promises is not about your performance. It's about your posture, and God needed virtuous men so that he could show himself powerful. And so if I'm Gideon and I'm the 300 men, I'm ready for my blessings. We have passed the virtue test. Let's find out how we're gonna do this. Like, God, are you gonna send, are you gonna do the fire thing where you just, you know, flame them all up? Or like, I'm ready for some weapons. Like, God, send me some flamethrowers and some rye. Let's do like some drone strikes, right? And go in with like 300 virtuous men. 
But that's not what happened. Instead, in verse 16, dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them to go against one of the most powerful forces in the known world at that time. The Israelites are equipped with trumpets and with jars. And the reason I know that these are very virtuous men is because if I was one of them and you handed me a trumpet and a jar, I'm out. Listen, I stayed when everyone left, and I drank like an idiot, and now this is too much. I'm going home, Gideon. But the 300 stayed. Because sometimes in our life, we don't feel like we have the weapon that we need for the battles in our life, and it can cause us to sell out on the promises that God has given us. And so maybe you're a single mother and you're wondering how in the world you're equipped to be both a mother and a father to the children that you love so much. Or maybe you're an addict and you're trying to get help, but all you have is just a little bit of hope and a lifetime of terrible memories. Or maybe you feel like God is calling you to step out in faith and to adopt or foster a kid in our community or to start a nonprofit or to give generously to these things that are helping in our community. But you look around at your undersized bank account and your oversized mountain of debt and you know that you don't have the weapons that you need for the battles in your life but here's the deal that's still performance based thinking maybe God has given you exactly what you need to live in the promises that he has given you if you will just posture yourself to unleash his power through you that's what Gideon and the 300 did you see Gideon took them and he set them around a hill in the middle of the night while it was pitch dark and he told them to stand there right above the valley where the Midianites were staying and he said that at this point, God was gonna do something that would change everything. And we read that the three companies in the middle of the night, they blew their trumpets and they smashed their jars and grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow, they shouted a sword for the Lord and for Gideon while each man held his position around the camp. Nobody moved in the Israelites. All the Midianites ran crying out as they fled. And when the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords God took 300 virtuous men and he defeated one of the most powerful countries, the most powerful groups of people on the entire planet. And they never lifted a sword. And of course they didn't because unleashing the power of God's promises isn't about our performance. He doesn't need the biggest and the best and the ultimate warriors. He's looking for people who will posture themselves, who will add virtue to their faith. And this is good news for us. Because when you decide in your life to step out in faith, even though you're under-resourced and you know that you're not equipped well and you don't have the weapons that you need for the battles that are coming against you in your life and all of your friends think you've lost your mind and your family doesn't support you and your coworkers talk trash, you can have virtue that will keep you from selling out, that will keep you in the fight. And that's what God's looking for because your posture will unleash the power of God's promises in your life. Listen, it's up to you. Faith is free. We believe in a simple gospel. If you have believed in Jesus, you have access to the promises. But if you don't want to wait until your life is over to live in them, then you will posture yourself. You will add virtue to 
your faith. Listen, you can try to do it on performance. I'm not even saying you won't do some cool and significant things in your life. But God can do more with 300 than we could ever do with 32,000. God allowed 31,700 performers to go home so that he could get to the virtuous few. And when you're a part of the virtuous few, you can see miracles in your life. These are the people that God is looking to join him in his plan to rescue humanity, to bring hope to people who have no hope, to bring peace to people who are living in turbulent atmospheres, to bring life to people who don't even know if theirs is worth living anymore. God is looking for people who will add virtue to their faith. And so I know that life is busy and I know that we don't always get a chance to really posture ourselves in these way we're talking. So we're gonna take a few minutes today and I wanna ask you to consider what it would look like adding virtue to your faith. And so maybe you're more of an internal processor and you wanna close your eyes to block out distractions. Maybe you're a visual learner and you wanna get out your phone so you can take down some notes. But I wanna ask you two questions because virtue is where courage meets excellence. And so the first question is, what are the areas in your life where you are lacking courage? Maybe it's at work where there's an individual who is always demeaned and who is always made fun of, and instead of standing up for them, even though you know it's right, it's easier to just join in. Maybe when everyone that you hang out with talks bad and shows how worthless their spouse is, instead of joining them, you stand up courageously for the person that God has put in your life. Maybe you love your kids and you wanna spend time with them, but honestly, you don't know how good your parenting skills are and you haven't had the courage to stick in there and it's why you work so many hours and it's why you don't show up to their events. Where in your life have you been lacking courage and ask God to show that to you? And the second question is, what parts of your faith have been lacking in excellence? What are the parts of your life that you simply need to shore up? You've dropped your standards. You've become okay with being mediocre in your faith. Sometimes you're for God. When you're here, it's easy and you can lift your hands and get caught up in the music and the lights and the sounds. But when you get outside of these doors and you get around your coworkers and you get around your family and you get around your neighbors, your standards drop. Ask God to show you the areas of your life that you're not living in excellence because in your life, if you can posture yourself for virtue, if your courage can meet the standard of excellence for your faith, you become the kind of person that God is desperately looking for to change this world. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for Jesus, that he's unlocked these promises. I pray, God, that we can walk powerfully in them. God, that we won't simply just step out in faith, but we will protect our faith with virtue. God, that you would give us the courage to do the right things and a standard of excellence in our lives where we know what those right things are. God, we don't want to sell out on the promises you've given us any longer. We wanna be one of the virtuous few that you use to bring freedom to the oppressed. God, that you use to change things in this world. 
God, that sounds like the first step to a very significant life. And so give us the courage to do it, God. Show us and lead us as we leave this place. In Jesus' name, amen.